most this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil of the Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sports in Salford and beyond? Yeah, yeah, hi, Rob. Yeah, looking forward to it, mate. It's the start of the rugby season it? coming up this week, so uh, all things go in Salford, so uh, looking forward to it, mate. Yeah, so we'll start with the Rugby League and we'll start with Swinton Lions. They started their championship season uh, away uh, to Batley at their away game, their first away game of the season, won 30 points to 16. What a result for them. Yeah, it certainly was, Rob. I mean, last week, the game against Newcastle was probably a game you would have expected Swinton to, to, to win, really. Um, you know, one of the one no, say would say one of the lesser sides in the league, but probably one of the less fancied sides in the league. And then to go away to Batley today, I don't think anyone expected Swinton to really get a result in that one. The bookies had I think Batley by twenty twenty four on the start, so they, they weren't expecting Swinton to, to get a result, but to, to, to play the way they did, you know, a tremendous performance away from home. Batley's a tough place to go. We know that from going there watching Solve. It was always difficult to play on the slope at Mount Pleasant. And um, yeah, they've done themselves uh, the world of good there, getting a victory, and uh, you know that's going to kickstart the season now for them. So an unexpected one, but you know Swinton will be desperate for all the points they can get this season. So that is a great result and a great confidence boost for the players as well. Yeah, obviously, you know Swinton, you know will be looking to, to try and get further up the championship table, and results like that today, Paul, will be a big step in the right direction. Yeah, and I think for Swinton, I mean, I don't know how ambitious the supporters are. Um, I don't know whether they'll slag me off for saying this, but I think to, to get to guarantee safety first is the, is the main thing for them. I mean, you just want to make sure you're in the championship next year. So I don't want to be too negative because they want to finish as high as they can. But I think with the size of their squad compared to a lot of the other squads, you know, if, if they can get points in the bag and, and get safe, then, then that's that's the, the priority. And anything after that, you know, it's a bonus really, isn't it? So uh, that that's me not being negative at all. I want Swinton to stay up this season. And I think if you're a realist, you'd probably say, yeah, it's, it's a tough ask, but... You know, a victory against Batley away from home has set a marker down now that they've got a good squad, they've got some good players, they can keep them fit, they can they can push on and, and who knows where they can go this season. That's 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 definitely the boost of the confidence of the players now. Yeah. Dan Abraham is a real points machine uh, for Swinton. He got over the line uh, against uh, Batley. How important are they to keep him fit and he keeps firing? Yeah, Abraham's um a very good halfback as well. He's a good organizer, isn't he? And as you said, he's a talisman for Swinton and he's a good goal kicker as well. And you know, if they can keep him fit, uh, you got Mike Butt who, who who scores tries for fun as well. So uh, Rodri Lloyd is always a player I've admired when I've watched Swinton. Really, real work or so. There's some real good players in that squad. And uh, yeah, if they can keep them fit, they've not got the biggest squad as I mentioned before in the championship. You know, compared to like sort of Featherstone and Toulouse, they just seem to have. Massive squads and you know massive amounts of players and talent there. They're going to be tough to beat those two teams. But Swinton can only uh, can only beat the sides in front of them, and 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 that's what they've done against Batley. And they just got to continue that forward now. But yeah, keeping keeping the the, the side fit is going to be tough. But uh, then keep players like Dan Abram fit and, uh, and 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 going through the season, they should be okay. Yeah, they face Barrett at Haywood Road on Sunday. Obviously, got momentum after the Batley win. Hopefully. Going there too. Yeah, I mean Barrow have had a, a bit of a funny start to the season. Really, probably one of the fancied sides. But you know, I think that's a, it's a winnable game for Swinton. And, and how good would that be? You know, two wins out of three. You know, they've got to target that game. They've got to go into that game with an awful lot of confidence. And you know, it's not impossible. You know, uh, Barrow have lost one of their key players, Anthony T. Ritz, and the, the winger who, who signed for St. Helens scored a cracking try for St. Helens at the weekend, actually against St. George. So he was one of their their top players. So. 
So yeah, I, I think Swindon got a chance in that game. I think any team down at Haywood Road, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough for them to go and play. Obviously, like I said, Featherstone to lose go down there, it's going to be hard against them. But Swindon have got to back themselves in these home games, and they get a result there. I think it'd be a great start to the season for them. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Salford Devils. Their Super League season starts this week. They're away at Lee. Uh, me and you spoke to two Salford players um, in the last few weeks. You spoke to Chris Atkin and I spoke to Dion Cross about the 2023 season coming up. And this is what they had to say. Right, I'm delighted to say Chris Atkin has kindly took time out to join us after his busy schedule pre-season. Chris, how are you getting on? How's things going? Yeah, it's been really good. Uh, obviously, we had that uh, sort of seven, eight-week period just before Christmas, which uh, there was a small group of us, to say the least. And uh, I think Rolls and Hag and obviously Anu come back and you know really enjoyed spending that time getting into the lads and, and working on you know specific things. And and uh, it was a tough period. And then obviously we welcomed majority of the squad back uh, in January, uh, and we had a, a good decent numbers on the training field and we're you know, starting to put those combinations together which worked so well the whole last season. What's pre-season like? I mean, I know you're on the training field going through things and that but is there a lot focused on like fitness? Is it as tough as they make out? Because sometimes you, you think of pre-season, you're running up hills, you're doing loads of like horrible stuff that you don't really want to do. Is it like that at Salford or, or is it more sort of fitness based and, and getting out there and learning things on the training pitch? Uh, yeah, we spend a lot of time on the training field. I think, you know, that time is where you can really, you know, simplify simplify things, simplify drills and spend a lot of time on, on areas week to week and, and really, you know, trying to nail them and get them nailed down before you move on to something else. But I think the that period is about, you know, the S&C guys and the physios getting involved, getting stuck in and getting, getting the lads fit and ready for what is, you know, a tough long season I think when you speak to, to most people the, the shock about how long a rugby pre-season is but I think it's required for you know injury prevention and also preparation for that season um, so yeah they play a big part in in that period the S&C guys getting you in the gym doing your fitness stuff but at Salford we try to spend as much time as we can you know on the rugby field because at the end of the day that's what we're there to do we're not there to be you know the fittest runners who can run a, a distance in a certain time or whatever it is. It's about how you can apply your skill whilst under fatigue. Just going back to to like you talk about the gym there and, and and things like that. I spoke to a few supporters on the quiet in the crowd the last couple of weeks at the matches, and they've all made the same comment about you, saying you put a bit of size on. Um, I'm not saying like you're massive, but have you focused on? building up a bit more muscle, just being a bit bigger? Because last season, for me, anyway, personally speaking, I thought you got targeted a lot in matches and took a lot of ammo, particularly against St. Helens in that semi-final. I mean, you shook it off because you're a tough bloke, but have you focused on that, making yourself a bit bigger? Um, I think I try to every pre-season. I think sometimes um, in games and the position I played in last season in that sort of loose forward role, you know, teams are going to identify me as maybe as a smaller bloke. Um but like you say, I, I, I try to defend tough and, and don't let the size sort of affect me. Um, but yeah, you know that's sort of an aim every preseason to put that little bit more size on, get that little bit stronger. I think for every player, that's that's that good period of like what we said, you know, ten to twelve weeks of, of training hard and, and trying to get the rewards for that. Um, but yeah, putting putting that little bit of size on would 
would definitely help myself. Um, if I was to, you know, participate in that 13 role again in the forwards or anywhere. Yeah, I mean, just going back to last season, I mean, what was it like when you come off you know, sort of that Saturday night after that semi-final at Saints? You've given absolutely everything. You, you know, you and the players couldn't give any more than that. Well, how did you feel? That, I mean, you must have been disappointed, but in, in the same way, you must have been really proud of the efforts because you got so close to another grand final. Yeah, obviously it was, it was you know, really hard to take. And I think for the, the lads, we just... We couldn't get over that that was the end of the season. It just didn't feel like the season was ready to end for us. And, yeah. Um, you know, there's if buts and maybes along the way. We've oh, we could have done this or we could have done that. And, and you look back at the game and you just you know you wonder did certain decisions and go against us in the game during the game after before. Um, and you know it's an accumulation of things. And just on that day, you know, I suppose it wasn't meant to be. Um, and Saints rightfully sort of went on um, it hurts me to say you know went on to to then lift the trophy again for I think the, the fifth the fifth time um, uh, yeah and it, it, it did take a long time to, to really get over that and I think for the majority of the lads that are, are still here this season that gives us that extra bit of fuel to the fire to, to you know to try and go one better this season and and how we can actually improve to make that step forward and get to the grand final. I mean, the club seems to be changing all the time. I mean, I know in my sort of time of watching Solver, we used to sort of, you know, be the, the start of the season, it was always a, like our ambition to stay up and avoid relegation. But, you know, looking now, the, the news this week, Brodie Croft signed a, a huge contract. And, you know, to keep a player of that calibre, have, have players like yourself in the team as well, Mark Sneed, Andy Eckers, Callum Watkins, there's, there's some cracking players at the club now. And I mean, is it changing around? What are the hopes for 2023? Surely now you, you must be excited. You're going to be targeting silverware, aren't you, surely? Yeah, I think every every club will, will sort of try and sit down in, in pre-season and, and set those goals that no one kind of sits down and goes, yeah, we're just here to avoid relegation in, within in the team. Everyone's looking how they can make the playoffs, win the Challenge Cup or, like you say, get to the grand final. Um, and that's no different for us. We, you know, we have them same conversations, but um, I think off last year we do have that, you know, burning desire to put those little things wrong from last season. Um, and like as you've mentioned, we've got a, a quality side that you know across the board would I think get into most you know Super League seventeen week in week out, um, which is a testament to the work that Paul. Um, the other coaches and obviously the recruitment side of things that they've done um, and the club are trying to ju- just only change the performances on the field but the perception from outside you know looking in What's, what's Paul really like to play under? I mean, I know when Ian Watson was there, people used to say, you know, what are we waiting to really find detail? I suppose he's a totally different coach to Paul, but what's Paul like? Is it, Does he study the videos? Is he sort of a perfectionist? Because I know he works really closely with Kurt Haggerty and, the, the, you know, the two of them seem to work really well together as, as a team, don't they? But what's, what's he like, Paul, on, on, you know, on a one-to-one basis with you when he takes you aside and has a word with you? Yeah, really good. Like you said, um, I was fortunate enough to work with Paul um, under Watto my first season um, so when I arrived at the club and um, I built a relationship with Paul then and, and when he took over we had a you know a good chat during that off season about 
you know, where he saw my role and, and everything like that moving forward. And yeah, really, really get on with Paul. He's, you know, he's a really good bloke away from rugby and, you know, you can really sit down and have a good chat with him, um, which is also good. But then he, he is able to to draw that line um, and put a real, you know, focus on what he wants from you on the field. Um, he does his, does his homework, studies you know, both sides of the game, attack and defence, works really closely with, with Kurt, as you've mentioned. And, and, you know, he has a real desire to be successful as well, which I think is passed through through and down the club that that's where the direction he wants to take the club in and not just the first team. He has a real, you know, interest in the club being successful. Yeah, it's exciting times. I mean, you've played your, uh, your two pre-season games. Now you've got a week off like sort of weekend off this week, then it's into the Lions Den. Then how excited are you for the the league game? I mean, Lee Lee Leppers, they've rebranded branded the team. They come up to Super League. They've got all sorts of music and entertainment on before the game. In my opinion, trying to re- really sort of get the buzz in the town of Lee, which is, good luck to them, I'd say. But how do you feel about going there on that first night? It's going to be a cracking atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be you know a really exciting uh, event for 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 everyone involved in rugby league. I think. You know, Lee are coming up and doing a lot of things really well off the field with, like you mentioned, the rebranding and good luck to them with that. It's it's only something that hopefully will benefit rugby league, um, and it, maybe we do need more of of that across the sport to to get you know people outside of the sport coming interested, getting involved, and actually going, oh, that looks interesting. Oh, you know, I might get to a game or you know watching it on Sky Sports, whatever the. The outcome is it seems to be a really positive thing for the sport. Um, but yeah, that that first game is going to be really tasty, really interesting with with the matchup. I think Super League. I've looked at it and thought, you know, we we can get you know Salford, the team from last season, the the inform, the the ones that throw it about, or the, the different taglines that they went with against you know the new up and coming Lee Leopard. So. Um, it's it's set for a really interesting start to the season with both teams probably desperate to, to start on good terms. Do you reckon that's out the way Salford are going to play? I mean, don't give anything away because there might be some Lee supporters listening or Lee coaches listening, <laughs> but is that how Salford will play again this season? I mean, last season, I mean, if you look back to the, I think there was the Huddersfield game or the Saints game at Salford, the Catalans game, home and away, you're absolutely, un- and Castleford away as well, absolutely unplayable at times. Some of the rugby league and some of the tries, I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. It was absolutely outstanding. So is that is that the way you're going to continue? Surely you're going to continue playing like that this season? I think a lot of that, um, you know, looking outside in is oh they throw the ball around and things like that. But um, obviously, as, you, as you're aware, there's you know Super League sides are, are in more depth. They do the homework on the video, and it's not all just off the cuff. So we'll keep planning and prepping for teams, and and when those opportunities present itself, we'll we'll have trained and practiced for those. Um, but you know, it's it is two sides in the game. There's defence and attack, and I suppose one thing that went unnoticed at times was our defence and we weren't able to to do what we did with the ball um, if we didn't do the work in defence and again we've worked on both sides of the game in pre-season so um, there'll be opportunities to throw the ball around the other times where you know you might have to stick it up your, your jumper but we're um, we've done our practice in pre-season again and we'll, we'll continue to do so in season and, and take those opportunities when presented to them 
Yeah, I reckon there'll be times in that league game where they'll be bats against the wall and be throwing the kitchen sink at us, won't they? But it's all part and parcel of it. Listen, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. And uh, I just want to wish you and the lads all the best for the season. I hope it goes really well. And let's hope we can uh, we can get some silverware. But best wishes, Chris, and thanks very much for, uh, for speaking to us. No, thanks for having me, Paul. Cheers. So we're joined by uh, Dion Cross. Uh, looking forward to 2023 after last season's uh, successes. Yeah, um, itching to get going now. Uh, you know, we've had a good probably 10 to 12 weeks now pre-season and uh, coming to the back end of it now. So the trial games are coming up next week. So yeah, we, we are we're keen to get going. Obviously had a great season last season. Uh, finished with uh, playing for England Knights in, in France. Uh, obviously moving into this season. Um, obviously that is that extra pressure that you've got to sort of live up to that or do you feed on that um, no it's, there's no extra pressure I think anything uh, what I take from that is just probably the confidence to show you know like um, that I do belong at this like you know at this level and I am capable of playing at this level so I'm just going to take out with confidence and um, obviously I've got some goals personal goals myself to hopefully you know get back in that squad and hopefully try and get uh, even better and try and get the first team if possible obviously, you played very well obviously last season but there's, there's competition in that squad so it will be a test to see if you obviously continue in that uh, starting centre berth yeah definitely there's competition across the board you know there's me Tim uh, Sarge can cover there as well as fullback and you know you've got Matty Costello as well so everyone's been training really well uh, so it's only healthy competition for the players as well so it's going to bring the best out in me um, if there's obviously people fighting for that shirt yeah obviously Paul Rowley plays an expansive sort of organised game what we'll call it but that kind of suits your style doesn't it because you obviously love love the ball quick and love the, love, love, love the ball wide yeah yeah it definitely suits us you know what uh, what roles you know Kurt Haggerty's bringing to the bringing to the club's brilliant uh, you know the way we play and obviously it shows you know you've got Ken Seals uh, second top try scorer last season um, you know I managed to get over for a few Joe Burgess Tim Lafayette so you know it just shows that you know with uh, that expansive type of rugby you know it's exciting as well especially for the fans and you know we're getting talked about a lot now um, getting a lot of attention at the back end of the year just with the way we play so. Any particular games that you're looking forward to, to playing? Uh, looking forward to I think just round one I think just get going especially you know hopefully we can get a big fan base over uh, like we did against St Helens in the semi-final that was brilliant so if the fans can you know get on board for round one that's just going to be massive that. that's going to be like our 18th man Yeah obviously you know success last season it's all about reaching the targets again and, and that's what this club is it needs to be sort of where it was last season in the, in the playoffs and competing yeah definitely and I think uh, you know proof from last season is you know you know, we've, we should have that confidence of saying well we've got to the semi-final let, let's go one step further this year so you know we're going to have the confidence behind us but you know we're going to go about our business quietly and respectful and you know we'll just go keep going under the radar and you know just overachieving yeah Paul Riley talks about going under the radar a lot is that something that's sort of discussed within the squad sort of just sort of let's play let's just keep ourselves going and then when when the opportunity strikes let's let's do it yeah i think it's just you know uh, keeping that circle tight and i think that's why you know you look at the we only got a small squad but i think everyone because we're so tight-knit as a group uh, you know we all turn up and we all want to play for each other but yeah it's sort of just keep going under the radar because then if you keep putting too much pressure on yourself that's when you you know you don't perform as well so you know we're pretty chilled it's only so far under the radar i can go keep reaching uh, super league semi-finals you know what i mean yeah that's maybe maybe but you know we'll just keep doing what works for us and you know we'll be hopefully another successful season what are your particular personal targets have you sort of mapped them out yet um, probably you know to hopefully one will be to definitely try and get the starting shirt again in the centres uh, and then hopefully to 
you know, try and get in that England night squad and, or maybe even the England first team just fight for that position. But yeah, they'll all come if I'm playing well and, you know, enjoying my rugby, which I am. Brilliant. Cheers for joining us, Dion. So that was Chris Atkin and Dion Cross talking to us about the 2023 season and how they're looking forward uh, to playing in it. Yeah, uh, I think um, they're both excited by it, aren't they? And, uh, you know, it's going to be a big season for us. You're looking forward to this game at Lee. You know, Lee are going to throw the kitchen sink at us, aren't they? It's going to be a very, very tough night there at Lee. And I think the players are expecting that. And, um, you know, we'll get to see, you know, how good we are. Um, I think Lee are going to be more worried about us than we are about them, or, or equally as, as, as so, really. I mean, we had a good season last year, and Lee have come up, and they're probably wary about the players we've got. They've got a lot of new players in their team, some some good players as well, and some household names in there, uh, in that Lee squad. But are they going to gel? It's more or less a new team they've signed. So it could take them a bit of time to gel, where Salford is a settled side. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about you know speaking to Chris. He, he, he's... Um, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a good player as his day on cross and you know they're, they're part of a really good squad there at Salford yeah it's going to be a super exciting season uh, for Paul Rowley's men uh, obviously a person who's going to be staying at the Salford Red Devils is Brody Croft he signed a new seven year deal uh, to stay at the AJ Bell Stadium how big of a moment is that for Salford Devils uh, the team the club and the fans I think it was a great uh, it was great for the club that the players Sort of committed his future to the club. Whether Brody Croft stays seven years, I, I, I don't know whether he will or he won't. We'll, we'll have to watch this space, won't we? But he's committed his future to the club, however long he stays now. So um, I, I think that's 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 one that's a great thing for the club. You know, Brody Croft there is a player who could probably get into any side in the Super League, and there'll probably be teams in the NRL who've had their eye on him as well. And for him to say, "I want to stay at Salford," I think it just shows how far the club has come on and off the field, really. And you know, players want to stay now and and play for Salford because they know they've got a chance of winning something, and it's a good place to be. You know, the the, the some of those games last season, particularly the playoff games, we went to Huddersfield. We took a massive support there, massive support support to St. Helens, and the players are feeding off that now. And there's a real buzz around the club, and I just hope that you know supporters get to the home games and and back the club, and um, you know, n- new people come, lap supporters turn up as well. And, and we have a really, really, really good season. So, um, but the Brodie Croft news, I think, was a great shot in the arm for the club. Yeah, shows real ambition for the club. Obviously, Brodie Croft was touted to go back to Australia, and the club have moved heaven and earth to sign him up for the next seven years. And like you said, it may not last seven years, but he is a quality Super League rugby league player. And having him in a red shirt uh, for whatever amount of time he does stay at Salford is only going to push Salford to that next level. Because obviously, last season getting to the uh, Super League semi-final uh, was a big moment for the club and I think obviously keeping your best players uh, is only great you know great going forward if you can add extra talent to it uh, you'll be able to take that next step and go one step further this year hopefully well that's a, well you look forward to sort of the 2024 season and in your recruitment this in this time next year you know when you're recruiting for next season and players are going to look at that and think yeah Brody Croft plays for Salford it's a good player him you know, Callum Watkins plays with Solver, Matt Snead plays with Solver, and you know, and so on. So other players that's going to attract other players to come as well. So, um, so I, I think it was a great bit of business. As, as we both said, there seven years is a long time. So a lot can happen in seven years. A lot can change. Um, so you know, we'll have to wait and see whether he, he might stay seven years. But he's contracted for that now. But I think it's a business 
sort of thing as well. It's a good insurance policy because if Brody does decide to move on in the next seven years, whether it be five, six years' time, whatever, the club should then get a transfer fee for him, shouldn't they? He's not going to just leave on a free. So, so yeah, it's good to tie him down. Um, you know, it, it removes a lot of that speculation and um, it allows Salford to, to continue building a team around pivotal players. You know, we've got a real settled spine there with like say, Ryan Briley, Andy Eckers. If we can tie these lads down on, on long-term deals, we can build a team around them. Yeah, it's going to be super exciting. And obviously, on Friday, Paul, they'll be playing in their new uh, 150-year anniversary shirt, uh, a throwback retro shirt, Paul. Uh, you're the history buff. Uh, tell us all about it. Well, yeah, they're the original sort of club colours, aren't they? Uh, Salford from when we formed years ago. And uh, we did actually play in that that kit in the 1979 centenary. I was, I was doing a bit of reading up and talking to Dad about this. I mean, we have sort of got two centenaries, haven't they? got the, the 1873 and the 1879 from like the the sort of uh, start start off years of, of the clubs and, and what have you, and the new bands thing and all that. So it's a bit confusing sometimes. But yeah, we did play in that kit in the, in the 79 centenary game against uh, against Witness at the Willows. And uh, we drew that day 16 apiece, didn't we, in front of about 11,500 supporters. So let's hope we can... Get get a better result uh, on uh, on Friday against Lee, but it is an amazing kit. It really is special colours that, and it looks the part as well. It looks really, it looks fantastic, and uh, you know the, the kit designers have done a great job on all the kits. I think the home and away shirt looked tremendous this season as well. But I think that's a that's extra special that for, for Friday night. Um, I think it's going to be an absolutely buzzing night at Lee, as I said before. I'm expecting. Uh, I'm going to call them the Centurions and the Leopards, the Lee Leopards. I'm expecting them to to throw the kitchen sink at Salford, and I think you've got to give them a lot of credit. They've really, really, really taught this game up, really promoted it. They've got some excellent entertainment on them. I don't know a lot about scouting for girls, is it? I've heard of them, and I believe they're pretty good. I think they've, they've, they're doing a tour at the moment. It's fifty quid a ticket to go and see them. So you go to rugby there for twenty odd quid, and you can watch a match and see them. So um, <laughs> I think that's great. That's great from from Lee. So it promises to be a buzzing atmosphere, and I, I can't wait to get there and, uh, and watch it unfold. Sounds like a kind of thing Martin Lewis would say when he's uh, telling people to say, "I'll save money." Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea, isn't it? It's, I think credit to them. I know they've, they've had a bit of stick, Lee, haven't they, for the, the name change and things like that. But I think you've got to give them credit. I think they're trying the best at to promote rugby league in the town and, and get the town buzzing. So, um, you know, good luck to them. I hope they have a good season. Yeah. Except when they play Salford. <laughs> yeah, obviously, like you say, Friday night, tickets are, you know, in demand. So get yourselves down to the AJ Bell Stadium, purchase your tickets there. The club do get 25% of every ticket sold, which will help the club grow, won't it, Paul? Yeah, certainly. Well, I think if you buy your tickets in advance, as well, you save quite a bit. I think if you go to the ground on Friday night and pay on, like, get a ticket there or pay on the door or whatever, it's 30 quid. So it's, it's quite a big saving. And Salford obviously get... Um, you know, some money towards that as well. So, uh, and plus the fact, I think the capacity is reduced with the the band playing in the stadium. So, you know, it might, it might be pretty full. So, uh, yeah, get, get your tickets early doors. Don't be rolling up on Friday night and with a wing and a prayer. Like, make sure you're there. Yep. So we're joined by James Sweetnam. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. I most certainly am, Rob. And when you say beyond, in honour of the Super Bowl. We've got a bit of NFL content for you. So we were joined by the general manager of NFL UK, Henry Hodgson, and he was delighted to talk us through the breaking news that NFL UK have teamed up with Sport England to provide charitable initiatives all through Manchester. So this is what he had to say. Well, Henry, thank you for joining me. It's deeply appreciated. And today, NFL Foundation UK and Sport England have announced a new partnership which will be funding charitable events across Manchester and Birmingham. So would you be able to talk me through this in a little bit more detail? 
Sure thing. Yeah, the um, the NFL Foundation is is um, a foundation that we founded in the UK in 2021, uh, and the goal is really to use flag football programs and training to um, reach young people um, between the ages of about 12 to 20, um, give them sort of the chance to develop their skills and confidence um, through flag football and really find positive pathways um, that can help them in their future and help them reach their potential. So something we're, we're really proud of. Um, as I say, we, we launched it in 2021 and for the first piece, um, we're focused on London, um, but we're really excited now to to be launching um, and reaching new charities in, in Manchester and Birmingham, um, which are obviously really important locations for us and, and uh, excited to, to be able to partner with, with charities there to reach those kids. That's fantastic. And looking at the statistics that were emailed over to me, you're already working with 2,500 young people in London and 58% of them are female. So you're doing a brilliant job of expanding the sport within a female market. Yeah, that's right. I think the interesting thing is that because flag football is really new sport, let's say compared to, to some of the other sports that kids might be reached through charities or in school, obviously football, cricket, rugby are, are you know, mainstream sports here. Um, I think there's less sort of baggage that comes with with flag football. It means that, you know, kids are really open to it and it's really accessible both for girls and boys. Um, so there's no one thinking, well, this isn't really for me because, you know, there's sort of preconceived notions of who should or shouldn't be playing the sport. And I think that's why we've been successful in in getting as many female participants as we have. And, and obviously that's one reason. I think the other one is it's an awesome sport that kids really love playing and have fun doing. And so not only are they trying it, but they're actually sticking with it as well. Well, that's fantastic. I suppose it's similar to the UFC in a way, where uh, these big female fighters in that sport get the mass publicity that the men do. And is that something you'd like in the NFL going forward? I think um, within the NFL, that's probably a little way off. But certainly in flag football, which is obviously what, what this sport is, what we're seeing is that, um, you know, there are women not just trying it or as kids but actually making a huge impact in in that sport as it's being played around the world and so we're really trying to highlight the girls that are, are taking that sport on and and playing you know at a national level and and excelling in the sport because i think it, it shows that there are pathways and it's a it's an accessible sport for for women um you know outside of the nfl itself and looking back at those statistics again, uh, 75% of the young people involved are of an ethnic background. And sometimes they don't get the opportunities to discover the pathways that they'd like. So it's a fantastic yeah. opportunity to, for them to discover something that's fun and helps them learn discipline and helps them just get engaged with something that keeps them fit. That's it. Exactly right. Um, and, you know, I think, again, flag football is, is, is such a fun sport to play. Um, that you know, the more we can get kids picking this up and and getting involved, I think it's only natural that we're going to have you know everyone involved. But again, to your point, exciting that we've got such a diverse and and especially in this case, female um, group of kids that are that are starting and, and picking up the sport. NFL and flag football in particular is growing at a rapid rate. And just a week or so ago, we had Effie Abada, didn't we, at Little Ealing Primary yeah. School. And he was engaging with the kids. We know what he's like as a character in general. He's full of personality, very charismatic. And it was great to see him inspiring the next generation of flag football players. Yeah, Effie's fantastic. He's a great ambassador for us. Um, he, I think, you know, really loves to see kids picking up and playing the sport and is, as you say, really encouraging and enthusiastic about it when he's around kids doing that. Um, I think, um, you know, FA 
is such a terrific character. One of the things that probably isn't told about him, but is definitely true, is that he doesn't just show up to those events and then go away and not think about it. He continues to relate to those kids. He's texting with the kids that are doing that or in our NFL Academy in the UK. He really cares about, you know, them. And, uh, and because he comes from a similar background to them, he's also tried to, to make as much of an impact as he can in their lives, not just through the flag football, but by being present as much as possible, um, in their lives too. That's fantastic. It's great to see that he's not just a sportsman who's doing it to help the sport, but also somebody who genuinely wants to give back to the community. And I think that's that's a huge part of NFL and what you're trying to do with this whole flag football initiative is give back to the community. That's right. Yeah, no, that's good insight. I mean, I think that that is what we need to do. We're really passionate about it. We know that um, that it's a it's a fun sport that, it, you know, if we get kids playing, you know, at the younger age, um, they're going to be more active. They're going to have a chance to experience the sport that way. But we also know that it helps them become fans of the sport. They're going to say, okay, this, you know, I've had a great time playing flag football, but I also want to watch the NFL. I want to watch the, the best in action. And obviously, you know, when we've got guys like FA involved as well from the UK, they're going to want to sort of see if they can follow his career too. So, you know, one of the, the distant hopes, but something that we will continue to see happen is that those flag players, maybe one or two of them could affect eventually be the next group of FAs, um, the, the next group of players from the UK that actually make it into the NFL. I mean, who knows? They're out there playing in Las Vegas at the moment, so it's exactly. certainly a great opportunity for them. Exactly, exactly. And this thing that you've got running now in Manchester and Birmingham, it's great from an education standpoint, great from a mental health standpoint. So would you encourage everybody to get involved in this if they can? I definitely would. I think, you know, flag football is a, is a really fun sport to play. We're making sure that we're working with those community organizations and, 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 you know, what, where their focus is. Are they focused on kids' mental health? Are they focused more on, on keeping them active? I think there's different ways that flag football can help in, in, in different areas. So rather than just saying, we're going to come and tell you how to run it, we want to make sure that we can also find the right charities in Manchester and Birmingham and, and sort of shape that partnership with them. Um, with flag football at the base, but with, you know, the focus that they have for the kids that are in, you know, involved um, so that they're getting the most that they possibly can do out of out of the work that we will do together. And since launching in 2021, you've done so many different charitable things. And you think that's a staple of what you're trying to do right now. And we're going to see more of these sort of things happening because obviously we've got this in Manchester, in Birmingham, as well as London, but it's just going to go nationwide. Yeah, that's the goal eventually is is for this to be across the country. I think we wanted to prove what we could do in London um, and then take it beyond London. Obviously, it's really important that we're reaching kids across the country and, and uh, Birmingham and Manchester are obviously our next focus. And we need to, to keep our eyes on the prize there, if you like, because we really, you know, we've got to make sure that it's successful there. But that's not to say that we don't have ambitions to, to take it much wider across the UK. And can you talk me through the application process for charities in Manchester and Birmingham that want to get involved? Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, we would sort of just encourage as many uh, as many charities to to apply as possible. We, as I say, are looking to work with them to understand their needs and then sort of co-create those programs with them. Um, so there's no limit on numbers. There's nothing that they need to do other than obviously be um, registered as as a charity. 
Um, but what we'll want to hear is that um, they're going to be able to impact a lot of kids in, in a positive way. That's really the, the sort of the main focus is, is ensuring that we're partnering with the right charities to be able to do that. Well, thank you for joining me, Henry. It's deeply appreciated. You've enlightened me and hopefully the listeners as well, who perhaps don't know that much about flag football and are keen to get their children involved. But that's all my questions for now. Have you got anything that you'd like to add that you feel that I haven't perhaps mentioned? No, not at all, gentlemen. I think, you know, thank you very much for your time. I think just the important thing is if there's anyone who's either from a charity listening that thinks that this might be appealing or there are any kids listening that think that they'd like to, to get involved, um, you know, make sure that, that you apply or get charities to apply. And, and we look forward to, to working with um, them in, in Manchester and Birmingham. Yeah, so that was Henry Hodgson. James, talk to yourself. You know, they're doing great things with American football in this country, aren't they? They most certainly are. Obviously, it's this ginormous sport in America. It's still got a bit of growing space to do in the UK, but by the sounds of it, they're doing it. And they're doing it through the right methods. Yeah. What a great thing. And obviously, another great thing that's coming up on the show, Boxing James. Yeah, most certainly. It's always a good time for me and Paul to talk boxing. And there's so much to talk about this week. But the first thing, Paul, Fury and Usyk, they've been going back and forth for months and months and months. Since really November, they were in negotiations while Fury was preparing for Derek Chisora. However, despite being told that this fight was on the cusp of being made on several occasions, the deal to do it in Saudi Arabia is seemingly fallen through. It appears now that the fight is in jeopardy of happening at all. Obviously, you said before we started recording that it just makes sense now to do in England. And where do you think this is going to go? Um, I've got a feeling it might just fade away, James, to be honest with you. That's what tends to happen now, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know. I think it was all set, wasn't it, for uh, for, for the Middle East? But uh, but no, you know, somewhere like Wembley, it'd, it'd be ideal, you know, how many is Wembley? About 90,000 people. And, you know, this is the fight everybody wants to see. So it, it made the obvious choice. But my fear is now it, they won't be able to get round the table. And, you know, the, these fights just, they, they're so hard to make, aren't they? Well, they seem to do. They, they just seem to be so difficult to, to, to come to a decision and get things, you know, nailed down. But I, I really hope so because it, it'd be a special fight, really, wouldn't it? It's, it's not one fight between these two you want to see. You probably want to see a whole sort of trilogy of them really wouldn't you because they'd be really really super fights but let's hope it gets sorted most certainly and something that again is quite bad news in the heavyweight division we had anthony joshua versus jermaine franklin announced on DAZN. it won't be pay-per-view but there will be a price hike in your subscription price so it's gone from 7.99 a month to 19.99 a month, which is an enormous increase on the previous uh, price. I mean, if people remember rightly, when it first launched in the UK, it was 2.99. So you know, it's pretty much 10 times more expensive than it was then. There is an option if you commit to 12 months without the ability to cancel that you can pay 9.99. But in general, Paul, people don't want to be paying a massive price, do they? Not really, James. I mean, a lot of people at the moment are struggling, aren't they, for, for money and things like that. And you've got cost of living crisis on, and, and boxing doesn't seem to care about that, does it? You know, it's uh, particularly the price of some of the pay per view events. I think is is ridiculous, really. I mean, I I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. I think there's enough money in the sport. The fighters are making enough money, particularly at that level. You know, surely there's got to be some sort of giving it. But that just seems a a mad price hike it's not just gone up a couple of quid it's 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 gone through the roof hasn't it so uh but it seems to be about that doesn't it i think anthony joshua mentioned that in one of his interviews doing it for the money and things like that i mean 
I'm not so sure that's the right sort of attitude to have, but um, but no, it's, it's the way of the world, it seems, these days. It's incredibly frustrating, especially, I mean, if you look in March, they've just announced Callum Smith's next fight for the Echo Arena or the MS Bank Arena, as it's now known, against unbeaten Paul Pavel Steven. Not somebody we know particularly well. I'm not necessarily trying to take his skills away from him because he could be a decent unbeaten fighter. But for £19.99 a month, is Callum Smith versus a complete unknown quantity worth the asking price? No, I wouldn't say so, to be honest with you. It'd probably be a good fight. You know, Callum Smith is, is usually involved in, in good fights, as you said, the, the lad who's fighting is unbeaten. But it just seems to, to me be, to be pricing... You know, pricing fans out, pricing the purists out, you know, people who want to watch boxing. I mean, if there's boxing on at weekend, I, I like to watch the full card. I watched the full card at, uh, when, I think it was at Wembley Arena at the weekend. Uh, really enjoyed it. That was on, on on Sky Sports. Didn't have to pay for it. And, and and we do, we love to watch it just as the same way football supporters like to watch the Super Sunday, the midweek games, the Saturday night games. You know, when, it, when it's pay-per-view, it, it makes it difficult for people who love the sport to, to get their fix of it. So, I don't get all this pay-per-view business. I think it's 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 a lot of money when people are already paying subscriptions for Sky. You know they've got their internet with it, and they're paying for these these separate channels as well that you've got to pay for, and then then paying the pay-per-view on top of that as well. It's just a lot of money that it just prices the the average fan out. It does, especially as you mentioned there, with all these additional costs of your Sky Sports subscription, your BT subscription. It's just a lot for the average paying customer. And looking at Sky Sports' schedule right now, we had a decent fight last night with Azeem defending his undefeated record, going 10 rounds for the first time in the main event. Some people were critical of his performance, saying he's not got the skills to go anywhere towards world level. However, this man's only 20 years old and he does show a decent level of potential, doesn't he? He does. He's, I, I've been excited by him when I see him, and, and he seems a nice kid as well when he, he's interviewed. He's very grounded. He's got a good team around him. Um, as you said, he's only twenty, and and the fight against uh, Reyes at the weekend. I mean, he was a, he was a tough, real tough fighter, him wasn't he? I mean, he got he got knocked down early doors, but I mean, he as he as he won every round, didn't he? But um, you know, he had a game opponent there, but he carries a lot of power. You know, for a fighter at ten stone, he carries an awful lot of power, and if he can. I think we can just get those those combinations flowing at the moment. A bit one two, isn't he? And that, but uh, but he can get his combinations going. I, I think he could be a real super boxer. He's a special talent. There's no doubt about that. And he he can bang. So uh, so why not? But it was a tough night for him on Saturday against a guy who I thought was very very brave uh, in there and who frustrated him really. And yeah, he couldn't find his way around it. But sometimes boxers. You know, young boxers, they need the rounds, they need to get the ambition under the belt. And I think he'll probably sit back and, and watch that fight and learn more from it than he did, you know, actually fighting in it, you know, by watching it back on the video. So um, so it was a good fight for him and, uh, and he got the win as well. He did. And now in controversial news, Josh Taylor and Jack Cattrall were scheduled to go toe-to-toe in March. Josh pulls out with an injured foot. It seems destined for a rescheduled event in June. However, now top ranks seem on the cusp of organising Josh Taylor versus Teofimo Lopez. Obviously, that's gone down badly with fans, many of whom still think that Jack Cattrall should be the undisputed super lightweight champion of the world. And it leaves a bit of taste in the mouth, doesn't it, if uh, Josh Taylor does genuinely go in a different direction? Yeah, and I think what added fuel to the fire for that, I'm sure Jack Cattrall's been named on a bill in Manchester, hasn't he, in March? Um, which I saw this week, he's got, he's done, he's been named an opponent yet. Uh, I'm sure I saw that this week, that he's fighting at the... At the AO is it the AO arena now, um, so that sort of fuels it that that fight 
it won't it won't happen now. They're both going to go different ways, and I think if they don't fight again, I think it'd be a real travesty that because that was a, a tremendous fight and it was a close fight, and I thought Catrell won. And yeah, as you said, I think he should be the undisputed champion, but um, it, it looks like that fight could be in jeopardy as well. It does. Uh, disappointing, to say the least. Jack Cattrall obviously trying to keep his eye in. I mean, he's been out of the ring for such a long period of time now uh, since that last fight. I mean, many of us hope that he could get a win in March on, in this card that you're referring to at the Manchester Arena and then move on to one in the summer with Josh Taylor. By the sounds of it, that's not happening. And will Taylor ever be taken seriously in the eyes of the public if he doesn't do Cattrall the rightful rematch? Yeah, well, I think he's got an awful lot of fans in Scotland. If you ask, if you ask a lot of the Scottish fans up there, he, he won that first match against Cattrall, the first, the first bout. Um, I'm not so sure how, how they worked that one out. It was, it was a close fight, that it was. It was a lot of close rounds, but I still think Cattrall got the win. And you know, for, for Jack Cattrall, for his point of view, I think he just needs to get back in the ring, ring doesn't he, and get rid of his ring rust and 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 sort of put that fight behind him now because the longer he sort of he has that frustration in his mind. He's playing on him all the time. So I think he needs to get back in, get a good win under his belt, get a good fight under his belt and then and then see where the summer brings. But no, it doesn't look like that that fight's gonna happen. I hope I hope it does, but you know, Cattrall's got all the talent. He can go a different pathway and uh, I, I'm sure he'll 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 still have a, a really good career. But for for Taylor, I'm not so sure it, it it's really blotted his copybook that to be honest with you. And, and his attitude towards Cattrall at the moment I don't know. I've not liked the way he's spoken his interviews, and when I've seen him on the telly the other week, he just seems. Uh, I don't know. He just yeah, he seems to have uh, changed, James. And I'm I'm not too sure where he goes from here. Still a talented boxer, Kelly uh, Taylor. Sorry, but yeah, it's it's a strange situation. It most certainly is, and all we can hope now is that Jack Cattrall gets a big fight on that bill in Manchester. It's looking like he's going to be the co-main event. There's been Regis Progress mentioned so that'll be a fantastic fight if you can let that one off but in addition we've got Fraser Clark returning on that bill and I think we were both in agreement at the Manchester Arena on the undercard of Liam Smith versus Eubank Jr we both thought he could do a bit of a step up really he's taken that in the form of Rydell Booker who is 27-7-1 he actually made his debut all the way back in 2001 so I'd have been two years old at the time. He's 41 years old now. And he actually lost to James Tony all the way back in 2004. And while he hasn't beaten any particularly big names, he's been in with the likes of Pulev, Jermaine Franklin, Philip Hergovich, Otto Wallen. So it's a bit of a step up for uh, for uh, Clark. He certainly is. And he's, he's fighting a, a guy there, like you said, he's got an awful lot of experience, a lot of uh, ring experience as well, a, a tough man. And, and that's what Fraser Clark needs now, really. I mean, he, he needs to step up. He needs to be in the, the these bigger fights and to see how far he can go in the sport as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he, how he sort of uh, navigates this next challenge. And in the main event, we've got Lawrence Acoli taking on his mandatory challenger, 20-0 David Light, a Kiwi, a good prospect. This should be a decent fight. Taking place at the Manchester Arena, and with Acoli being a London lad, were you a bit surprised by that? Yep, definitely. It's another one. I mean, it's like Liam Smith the other week, isn't it, coming to the, the arena? And, you know, it was a fantastic atmosphere for that that fight. And the, the arena really seemed to take to the Liverpool fighter. So I think the same with Lawrence Acoli. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a very good fighter. He's a likeable fighter as well. And, um, you know, a fighter who's 
he's been in some some top fights, you know, produces fireworks himself. So I think the arena will warm to him. And I think we've just been talking about the, the card there as well with, with Catrell on it. I mean, Catrell's a, a local lad, so I'm, I'm sure he'll get plenty of support in there as well. And Fraser Clark's another likeable guy. So it should be a good bill. And, and, the, and the fight fans of Manchester love whoever comes to the arena, don't they? That They'll get behind it and support them. They most certainly will. And the last one of the day for you, Paul. We were all looking forward to Canelo Alvarez versus John Ryder at a stadium in London. It would have been fantastic to get the Mexican pound-for-pound legend over here. Alas, it seems somewhere along the line that idea has been scrapped as it's looking like the fight is going to go down in Mexico now. And is that a bit of a disappointment? Um, yeah, I think it would be disappointing for Ryder. You know, being a London lad, I'm sure he would have... Um... He would have sold a lot of tickets for if it had been at Tottenham or Arsenal or somewhere like that. I think he'd have been in a great fight. But, you know, if he can get over to Mexico, it'd be tough for him going over to Canelo's backyard. But again, I think that's the fight that could define Ryder's career, couldn't it? I mean, you don't get much bigger than fighting Canelo. So uh, wherever he gets it, I'm sure he'd be disappointed he's not at home. But, you know, um, God, if I'm to go to Mexico and fight Canelo, it's, uh, it's massive, a massive opportunity for him. It's certainly a big test. And perhaps the next time we do this show, that one will have been announced. But that's all the boxing today. And now it's time to move on to the world of football. And Manchester United back with a big win over Leeds, 2-0. Always good to get one over your rivals, especially at Ellen Road. Yeah, War of the Roses, James. Ellen Road, Leeds have been waiting a long time, uh, obviously, to face Manchester United. And, you know, every game against the Reds uh, is a big uh, a moment in, in, in Yorkshire. And obviously, for United to go to Leeds and get a 2-0 win is a big result for the Lancashire side. It most certainly is. And looking ahead to this week, we've got Barcelona on Thursday a massive game and interesting for me because you've got two sides here who for whatever reason whether it's Sir Alex Ferguson leaving the helm or huge financial issues in Barca's case two teams that have fallen down the football pyramid taking a big big drop from grace however both on the resurgence under Eric Ten Hag Manchester United are looking as good as they as ever and under Xavi Barcelona look back to the best as silky as skillful as they ever have been so you've got a collision here of two teams looking to prove a point yeah, two giants of European football, whatever cup they play in, it will draw a crowd, it will draw interest. And like you say, both sides looking to get back to the the uh, the the Champions League. And, and we're hoping, obviously, as, as Manchester United you know, continue this good form and Ratchford keeps scoring his goals, that they're able to turn Barcelona over and continue on their way uh, to, to, to the final. And hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be celebrating uh, sort of come May. I imagine so. And then Leicester at the weekend, a game in the current form we're in, we should win. Yeah, a game which, if you want to compete at the top of your Premier League in the top four, James, you have to go and win. And at home, it's really important. We are really strong at home. Ralph Ranlick has brought that into the squad and we're kind of hoping that kind of thing continues. But they are a potential banana skin and you're really kind of hoping that, you know, Man United can see the job through. Two wins from two this, this week it would be a real step forward in our season. It most certainly would. And looking at Manchester City, they came up trunks with a 3-1 win over Aston Villa. Rodri, Gundogan, Mahrez all bagging the goals. And it's interesting because Manchester United, off the back of their win, went into second place. So they pushed City down that table somewhat for the first time in a long time. So it was integral for the citizens to bounce back with the win and announce to Manchester United that they're not going to fall by the wayside. Yeah, it was a pressure moment. Pep Guardiola's men stood up to the challenge 
and came away with a win. Obviously, with lots of things going on uh, this this week, it's really important that they kept that momentum uh, going. Um, obviously, you're kind of uh, hoping they continue to to chase Arsenal down uh, because obviously Arsenal were starting to to stutter a bit in in the in the uh, Premier League race. So for City to get three points against Aston Villa was massive. Yeah, they are starting to stutter right, and they've got to take on Manchester City this week. A clash between first and second, and this could well dictate who wins the Premier League this season. Indeed, indeed. Obviously, Arsenal at home, uh, the first game, they'll be looking to to win and, and impress the, the home crowd. Man City need to, to get a result. It's going to be a fans- fascinating contest, obviously. Arteta have got Arsenal playing really well. Pep Guardiola, Arteta uh, was at the management team at Man City before Arteta. For Arteta left to, to go to Arsenal. So it'll be a protege, the professor, and we'll, we'll be sitting down and seeing how it plays out. It's going to be intriguing, Rob. And also a game against Nottingham Forest, one that they should win. Yeah, they should. They should, James. Well, like I said before, with Manchester United, a game that if you want to be a contender that that, that you win. Uh, Forest have, you know, started to drift started to drift away from that uh, relegation zone. There was lots of talk, obviously, with 30 odd players in the squad, how they were going to gel them all together. But Colin Cooper seems to have done that and, and brought the, the the team together and the players together and, and they are starting to find the feet. So Nottingham Forest they will be a test, but like I said, Arsenal away midweek. That's the big one, and it's how they react to that result will 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 be the the test against Forest. It will. And what is the test right now for all of Europe is the European Super League. A twenty two after being shot down about a year ago have bounced back. They're now proposing an eighty team divisional tournament and. That wouldn't be good for football, would it, Rob? No, it, 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 it seems like it's a sheep in a wolf in sheep's clothing, James, because you've got more teams, but the sort of promotion into this uh, sort of European Super League isn't, uh, you know, from a nice place. You've got to, if you go in, you've got to you go in at the the bottom of the, I think it's the four divisions, and then you take your time to get up through to the to the top echelons of this European Super League. So I, I think it's it's so loaded up to to the play the teams that are used to playing in European football, and I really do hope that it kind of fails. But it do worry because obviously more teams are now involved, so there's more of a opportunity to sort of dying at the top table so we'll have to wait and see how it plays out James what about you what do you think I'm not entirely confident in things working out for the best Rob I mean at the end of the year a decision will be made and it could well go in their favour it's something that nobody seems to want especially La Liga and it's interesting that you mentioned that wolf in sheep's clothing because they made an interesting analogy describing it as the uh, as the wolf from Little Red Riding Hood I think everybody knows that story would you say that's a decent analogy? Yeah I think it is I think it is James and obviously the, the top sort of teams that are driving this vehicle they've got their self-interests at heart and they see this as a way of cementing themselves in Europe and guaranteeing them, you know, £100 million every year when really European football should be a privilege. If you should win your league or finish high up the league table, you get the opportunity to play against the world's best. So I think hopefully it'll be binned like the first plan. Well, certainly. Now looking ahead to Salford, a 1-0 loss against Tranmere and we're still... In those playoff spots, but the bridge has 
It's not as big as it once was. We've got Stockport on 45 points. We're on 48, and they've got a game in hand on us, as do Mansfield. So we're in danger of dropping out of that playoff place now. Yeah, it's real pressure uh, at Salford City. Obviously, they've had a you know great run over the last few years, and you know it's a real struggle in it, James. In just this division, so many games playing Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. You know, it's impact on players, and it's having a strong squad of size and of quality. And can Salford bridge that gap and get into the automatic playoff spot uh, or the automatic motion spot and go further? The further they go up the football pyramid, the more investment will be needed. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks. It most certainly will. And the two games we've got this week, firstly, Harrogate, 20th in the table. If you want a place in the playoffs, if you want to get to League One, that is a game where you can't afford to drop a point. No. No, Harrogate is a tough place uh, to go and you're kind of hoping that we, we, we can get a result because it will be a statement result. If we can get a result there, it will show the rest of the division that Salford are a team to be feared. We want to keep winning and with 30 seconds to go, James, do you see my point? You need to keep winning, don't you? Yeah, I most certainly do, Rob. It's extremely difficult, the position we're in right now. We're running out of gas. I hope that we can keep pushing through, especially in the other game this week against Swindon. Their 10th in the table is going to be a bit tougher. And like those other teams, they're a team that are pushing for a place in the playoffs. So to make a statement, this is what we're going to win. Yeah, it's a fascinating time for all our local clubs in all our local sports. And we'll be right behind them on the Sports Zone on Salford State Radio. Big thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. 